Today on the Matt Wall Show, after tornadoes devastated parts of the country on Saturday, the left insists that the disaster could have been prevented through legislation. Is that true? Can we pass laws that will stop tornadoes? We have to deal with that today. Also, major retail chains beg Congress for help in dealing with the surge in crime. I'll explain why they should be basically out of luck. And a Catholic diocese says that it's a sin to try and change your gender. The media is treating this like breaking news, but isn't that what every competent Christian believes? And with Jesse Smollett's conviction. There is a competition to see who can take his place as our nation's chief race hoaxer. One BLM supporting doctor seems to be auditioning for the role. We'll talk about all that and much more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Well, I'm on the road again, and uh, you know what that means. I always have my trusty relief band by my side, not by my side, actually on my wrist, and especially here in California, the, the opportunities for nausea are, are many uh, for various different reasons. So I have my, my uh, relief band, but I'm not the only one who suffers from nausea. Did you know that one out of three Americans regularly suffer from nausea? We've all experienced that horrible feeling, whether it's in the backseat of a car, staring at your phone, uh, or you know, after uh, you had one too many out with your friends one night, even just a little bit of anxiety uh, you know, during, during work, whatever it is. You know that nausea can really ruin your day, which is why you need Relief Band. It's the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband that's been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, uh, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. The product is 100% drug-free, non-drowsy, and provides all-natural, long-lasting relief with zero side effects for as long as needed. With the holiday season upon us, there's never been a better time to give the gift of relief and make sure your loved ones are nausea-free. Right now, the Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for my listeners. If you go to Relief Band and use promo code Walsh, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no-questions-asked 30-day money-back guarantee. So head to R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D.com. Use our promo code Walsh for 20% off plus free shipping. Living uh, as we did up in the woods in Pennsylvania before we moved out to Nashville, we never had to think much about, you know, tornadoes. Pennsylvania sees its share of twisters, but Tennessee has significantly more, though both states are dwarfed by Kansas, Texas, Oklahoma, etc. in the tornado tally. So after a year in Tennessee, it was not completely out of the ordinary when the tornado warning started blaring on our phones early Saturday morning, this past Saturday morning, around 3 a.m. Uh, we had a tornado watch before we went to bed, which means that conditions are such that there could be tornadoes. The warning comes in when actual funnel clouds have been sighted and you need to seek shelter immediately. It's always disconcerting huddling in the basement, listening to the winds that sound like Mack trucks speeding through your yard. But that's all it was in our neck of the woods. Lots of wind and noise and some down power lines and then uh, some scattered tree limbs. And that was, that was basically the extent of it. Our neighbors, especially to the north and west of us, were not so lucky. Around 20 separate tornadoes, including one massive one that cut a path across some, they think, 200 miles and uh, ripped through parts of Tennessee, Kentucky, Arkansas, Missouri, hitting, hitting Kentucky the hardest. Over 100 people were killed, the majority in Kentucky. And the lion's share of those deaths were concentrated in one factory, a candle factory, where dozens of workers were killed when the factory was totally demolished by the storms. In fact, almost the whole town of Mayfield, where the factory was located, was destroyed. Images of the devastation look like you know, the aftermath of some kind of aerial bombardment during wartime. The Daily Wire was on the scene interviewing survivors. You can, uh, you can hear them tell the story in their own words and see some of the images. Take a look at this. Never in my life seen destruction like this. Never. First tornado warnings, uh, the, we had a siren right there, so it's super loud, but at that moment I started getting mattresses out, uh, just ready right by the closet that I uh, planned on. It was the most center part of the house, so uh, they was making fun of me, you know what I mean, but it's better safe than sorry. And then we went out on the front porch, because I've personally never seen a tornado, and uh, 
next thing you know, here's a, got, got real calm, and then I heard something like a freight train. And then, you know, I've always watched documentaries and stuff, so the whole, all the power went out, and then I seen, like, a, the tornado looked blue from the electricity. And it was probably about two streets over that way. That's when we seen it. So I immediately run in. The gentleman's laying in bed over there. So I, I, you know, I bust his door down, tell him to get up. Tornado's coming. He jumps in the shower, and we run over here. Uh, get we get up in the uh, closet and pull mattress over us. The whole house starts shaking. Uh, you hear things breaking. I was just praying the whole time, you know. And uh, it was it happened so fast, and it was calm. And we everybody got out, made sure everybody was okay. And the first thing you know, we thought of was getting out and helping. So that's truly horrifying, and there's a, there's a sickening sort of uh, helplessness that you feel when you're in the path of something like this. We had just a very very small taste of that uh, where we lived, because you know that you're at the mercy of nature, and if things decide to hit directly where you're sitting, no matter how many precautions you take, you're probably doomed. When you consider the force and the magnitude and the boundlessness of nature, it becomes all the more not only grotesque, but absurd after the fact when the political forces in our country attempt to turn these natural forces into a political issue. But that's exactly what happened here, as usual. With bodies still buried under the rubble, the media and politicians set out to make ideological hay out of the whole thing by tying the tornadoes to, of course, climate change and claiming that, that, that we could have somehow prevented Saturday's disaster through well-written legislation. There could have been laws written to stop tornadoes. That's the claim. Here's uh, President Biden. Does this say anything to you about climate change? Is this, or, or do you conclude that these storms and the intensities have to do with climate change? Well, all that I know is that the intensity of the weather across the board has some impact as a consequence of the warming of the planet and the climate change. The specific impact on these specific storms, I can't say at this point. I'm going to be asking the EPA and others to take a look at that. But the fact is that uh, we all know everything is more intense when the climate is warming. Everything. And obviously it has some impact here, but I can't give you a, a quantitative read on that. Yes, we know that um, we know that the climate change caused this. I can't say how or to what extent or offer any proof, but, you know, just go with my general statements anyway. It, 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 it ha we don't know how, but it, but it happened. Actor Mark Ruffalo, last seen using cutesy pet names for child rapists in Kenosha, was more direct, tweeting, quote, This is what hashtag climate catastrophe looks like. It's only going to get worse from here. Now it's time to fight for our suffering and despairing youth. Yeah, we have to, we have to fight uh, tornadoes. Let's come up with our game plan to fight back against tornadoes. Rachel Vindman, a woman with an inexplicably large following, said, Climate change, what does it look like? This is absolutely heartbreaking, and it's, and it's a direct result of climate change. Believe me, I know it's tempting to scream, yell, and question why people are so slow to accept reality, but we must have conversations with skeptics. Well, that's another thing that will stop tornadoes, conversations. Noelle Scoville, another woman with an inexplicably uh, large following, wrote, Sorry, Kentucky. Maybe if your two senators hadn't spent decades blocking legislation to reduce climate change, you wouldn't be suffering from climate disasters. If it's any consolation, McConnell and Rand have effed over all of us, too. Now, she tweeted that, by the way, uh, no Noelle Scoville did, tweeted that early in the morning on Saturday. So it was like the very first thing she thought when she woke up to the news that 100 people were buried under rubble across 
you know, three different states. The very first thing she thought was, oh, this is going to be a great way. This is this. Uh, I, I could I could get a little dig in here against the Republicans and McConnell and Rand Paul. The media, of course, chimed in with explainers like this one from CNN, how the climate crisis is affecting tornadoes. And then this from Washington Post, a warming world could add more fuel to tornadoes, scientists say. And so on. You get the idea. The consensus from all of these sources is that natural disasters like tornadoes happen because of us. These people believe, or at least they want us to believe, which is not necessarily the same thing, that there is actually legislation that can be written, laws that can be passed to stop tornadoes. So when they look at, a, at footage of an F5 tornado, and when most of us see footage like that, we see a force of nature. We see nature in all of its, in all of its terrifying, deadly, um, you know, essence. But what they see with the tornado is a policy failure. Tornadoes are policy failures. That's how they see it. Now, let's, let's be clear about something here. Um, that view, to the extent that it's held sincerely, is straight up superstition. Okay, it's on the level of like a primitive tribesman who thinks that he can stop the rain or, or make the rain start or, or whatever, influence the weather by dancing around a fire and chanting certain things. In fact, it's worse than that. It's far worse than that because at least the primitive tribesman has an excuse to be ignorant of the science. He's, he, does, he doesn't have access to that information. He is making sense of the world with the information that he has available to him. The modern climate change alarmist should know better and often does, but he spreads this nonsense anyway. Now, here are some facts to keep in mind on the issue of climate change and how it affects tornadoes. First of all, if natural disasters were getting deadlier, there would be a very obvious reason for that, which has nothing to do with climate change. There are more people on Earth. So a deadlier uh, catastrophe is one, right, that kills more people. And if there are more people around, then that means that more people can die, which because more people are, will be in the path of any given disaster. There are twice as many people in the Midwest today as there were in the 20s, for example, which puts twice as many people in the path of tornadoes. And yet, so that's, if, the, if natural disasters were getting deadlier, that would be the reason. Yet, amazingly, what you find is that, in fact, a lot fewer people are actually dying in this way. Natural disaster deaths are, his, are at historic lows, not highs, in spite of the fact that there are so many more people around. As Andrew Follett, who's a former NASA scientist, he explained this weekend in a very enlightening thread on Twitter. Um, in fact, the, the deadliest day for tornadoes in American history still was in the 20s, 1925. Not even 20 years after the Model T was first introduced. So not a lot of time for, um, for fossil fuels to be creating tornadoes, right? And yet 700 people died in basically the same region where 100 just died from tornadoes. And again, there were fewer people. Populations were more spread out, less dense than they are now. And yet the disaster was deadlier, much deadlier. Why is that? Well, that's because it's because of the kinds of modern innovations that the left blames for natural disasters. 
Those, those innovations that get blamed for natural disasters are actually saving millions of lives from natural disasters. By the way, the deadliest hurricane in American history hit Galveston in, guess what year? 1900. And we know about hurricanes as far back as the 1600s that were killing thousands of people. We can't go back farther than that because there was nobody around in this part of the world keeping reliable records. That's the other problem with comparing weather events across centuries. We've only been keeping track of these things reliably for a comparatively short amount of time. And so it's very hard. Nobody has any idea how many tornadoes hit the North American continent in the year 1350, for example, or how bad they were, or how many people died from them. We have absolutely no idea. We can't possibly know. Did a tornado hit uh, this continent in, uh, on, on March 7th, you know, in the area where Kansas is now in the year 1272. Do you know the answer to that? Nobody does. There was no one around keeping records of it. There were people around, but they weren't keeping reliable records that we can use now to trace the weather. And yet you hear things like, oh, it was the worst storm in history. Well, how do you know that? What that always means is worst storm by certain metrics, we think, since we started keeping track a few decades ago. That's what worst in history means when it comes to weather events. Remember something. Um, The earth is enormous and ancient. It didn't begin at the dawn of the industrial age, despite what you may have heard. Go back to the year 700 million B.C., And there were weather events going on far more extreme than what we experience today. And the climate was changing, and the climate changes were far more drastic and devastating. Just that there were no people around to be affected by it. Go forward to the year 770,000 BC, let's let's say, and you'll see the earth getting battered by all kinds of extreme weather events. Same in the year 7,000 BC and 1,000 AD. In the year 1550 and 1650 and 1721, and now in 2021. And yet, after these billions of years of history, where the earth has endured one catastrophe after another, we we step into this chain of events in modern times and surmise that it's all our fault. And that we can actually stop it by writing words on a piece of paper and having a bunch of politicians sign it. The amount of ego required to believe this is almost impossible to fathom. And yet, at the same time, I can see why it's appealing in a certain way. Because I go back to that feeling of dread when the tornado warning sounds and you're you're huddled in your, your safe place that they tell you to go to and you've got your kids and your families there. And it's only safe so long as the tornado doesn't get too close to it, right? It is, it's scary to be so powerless and vulnerable in the face of these things that we can't control. So there's a comfort then in climate change hysteria. That's one of the great lessons of the last couple of years especially, is that there's a comfort for, people find comfort in hysteria, believe it or not. Because it convinces you that you can conceivably control the uncontrollable. And that you are not at the mercy of forces beyond you. But that's all a lie. It's an illusion. Stop fooling yourself and face reality. 
Now let's get to our five headlines. Well, you know, it's a strange American custom, at least uh, in, in some families, certainly in mine, to never use the front door, you know, and uh, we're one of those families where we always go in through the garage and, uh, and let, you know, maybe when there's guests over, we let them use the front door because we don't want them to see the disaster zone that our garage is. But, uh, you know, the garages are, statistically speaking, the most frequently accessed entry to the home, but they're often overlooked. Um, even though they're the place where people keep all their important things, they, they, they walk through it and everything else, which is why you need the MyQ Smart Camera by Chamberlain, the only smart camera optimized for the garage, brought to you by the leaders in garage door opener technology. With features like live video streaming, recorded events, motion detection, and a two-way communication system right from your phone, you can make sure that your garage is secure 24-7. If you pair it with the MyQ Smart Garage Control, you'll never have to worry if you left the garage door open. You can check it, see it, close it, all from the MyQ app from anywhere. So there's convenience, there's security, there's safety. You got all that mixed in one. So what are you waiting for? Give the gift of a MyQ Smart Garage camera to tech lovers this season. If you act now, you can save 46% for a limited time by entering Walsh at checkout on myq.com slash Walsh. That was Walsh at checkout on myq.com slash Walsh to save 46% off. Keep an eye on what's happening in and around your home's busiest entryway with the MyQ Smart Garage camera. It's the only smart camera optimized for the garage. All right, so we are back... uh, if you're wondering about the, the change of venue here, yet again, we're back in California, um, back in, uh, for, for a few days, back in COVID stand. And, you know, you always, I, you try to erase it from your mind when you come to one of these places. If you live in a sane part of the country and uh, you come to one of these places, then you leave, you try to erase it from your mind. So it's always kind of a shock to the system coming back to a place like this, whether it's California or, uh, you know, New York or somewhere like that. Where, where you know, you can't walk into a building without being accosted by 50 people yelling at you to put your mask on. And I go into, like at the hotel here, I go into the, uh, into the elevator and there are, there are markings on the floor, one in each corner for where you can stand when you're in the elevator. And I look at that and I, I want to believe that people are not actually using those markers and standing on the on, on their little spots on the floor. And they're right like in the corner. I'm actually surprised. See, they're in the corner, but they're facing out. I'm surprised they're not facing in so that each person, you know, you, you, you stand in the elevator in your corner and you face the corner like, like five-year-olds that have been put in timeout. So they didn't do that. They do let you face out and so you can see forward, but you have to stand in your corner. And I want to believe that everyone has the same reaction I do when you go and you see stuff like that. You just kind of scoff at it, laugh at it. But uh, this is California, and I bet there are a lot of people who get in there and they get in there and they get in their spot. That's what I'm betting. And the thing is, under normal circumstances, if you weren't telling me to do it, that's basically what I would do in an elevator anyway, and not because of COVID. But when I'm in the elevator, I want to be as far away from the next person as I can, and just just out of a, the principle of anti-socialism. Of being antisocial, antisocialism is a different thing, which I also hold that principle. Um, so, based on that principle, you know, I that's kind of what I'll do. But then, when you tell me to do it, now I don't want to do it. Now I'm going to stand right in the middle of that thing on purpose. I'm going to I'm going to cozy up next to someone, which I would never do in an elevator. But just because you told me not to, now I will. That's the American spirit. Um. It's also, you know, childish. But you know what we need? We need a little bit of that kind of childishness in the world today, in this country. We need that. We need some of that spirit. You know, you could go too far with it, but we need some of that spirit where you're telling me to do it, and so I'm not going to do it. 
All right, on the subject of COVID, Fauci is out uh, now doing some very direct fear-mongering to parents of young children. Nothing new there, but now this is a direct appeal to the parents of young children specifically. Uh, up until the last few weeks or so, when it came to kids, he, he, he would mostly just, he, he wouldn't talk about it. Of course, he, he was never being honest and, and, and actually saying to people, listen, your kids are going to be fine. This really isn't much of a threat to kids. He was never saying that. Instead, he was just remaining silent. But now that there is a, a vaccine to sell, now he's doing this direct appeal and this direct fear-mongering. Uh, but in the midst of his fear-mongering here that we'll play here, he, he makes the mistake of telling the truth in the midst of the fear-mongering. Listen to this. If your child is five years of age and older, please get them vaccinated. We need to protect the children. This idea that children are not vulnerable at all is not so, George. I mean, certainly statistically, children do not get as severe disease as the adults, particularly the elderly. But if you look at the number of cases of children, now well over 2 million children from 5 to 11 have been infected. There have been over 8,000 to 9,000 hospitalizations and well over 100 deaths. So, okay, let's run the numbers there. The numbers that he, that he just gave us. Okay, so these are from Fauci. Um, based on what he just said, that would be a mortality rate for children in that age bracket of 0.005%. A 0.005% mortality rate. So that would be a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a percent is the mortality rate. And that actually overstates it by a considerable amount because those 2 million cases that he quotes, they don't count the very many kids who had it and weren't tested because they had no symptoms. And there's no way for us to know how many kids fall into that category, but it would be it would be reasonable to suspect that the actual number of cases of COVID among that age bracket is uh, is you know is considerably higher than two million. Two million times two or four or who knows. So at the most, the way to put this is at the absolute most, the mortality rate for kids in that age bracket is 0.005%. And at the most, at the absolute most. It, it, the hospitalization rate is 0.4%. And even this doesn't take into account things like com comorbidities and that sort of thing, which are not as common among kids, but they, they of course, do exist. And this is all in the context of trying to convince us that we have to go and get our kids jabbed with the vaccine. You know, when the risk level is that, it, it's a risk level. I mean, it, it exists. We can't say that there's no risk. But when the risk level, fr from, a, from a standpoint of pure common sense and being able to function in the world, right, being a functional human being, the risk level that small, there's really, there's no reason to respond to it at all. Because there are so many other, if, if we're going to start measuring fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a percent type risks, especially as a parent, then you're never going to let your kid leave the house. You're not going to let them ever do anything. As we've talked about many times, you're, you will never put them in a car. Because the risk there is greater statistically. Even if COVID goes away, you're never going to bring them around people. Because the risk of flu is greater for them in that age bracket. You're never going to let them do anything. Um, so, it, when the again, when the risk level is that small, you have to decide: are you are you going to 
Is your life going to revolve around that? Or are you just going to continue to live your life? And it's, there is something really especially sinister, reprehensible. First of all, to prey on a parent's fear like this. Because we know as parents, it's one thing to, to step back from the situation, to look at the numbers, look at the data, and kind of evaluate it objectively. But as a parent, when it comes to your own kids, it's, it's, it's very easy for fear to take over. And it's hard to make these reasonable, calculated judgments sometimes. As parents, we, all, we, also, we also have these special fears, things that we worry about that are almost certainly not going to happen. But you, for whatever reason, it plays on your anxieties in a certain way and you, you worry about it way more than you need to. For a lot of parents, a thing, it's something like kidnapping. A lot of parents are very worried about that the kids are going to get kidnapped. Even though that almost never happens. It almost never happens that a child is kidnapped by a stranger. Now, we're talking about custody disputes and that kind of thing. Then, yeah, it does happen. But the, the fear that uh, someone's going to, just some stranger is going to roll up in a white van and take your kid, it, it, it almost definitely will not happen. It almost never happens. It doesn't make any sense to worry about it at all, really. Because the risk is that small, but as a, as a parent, these are, you just once you here's what you do as you, you start imagining these situations in your head, in your in your anxious state, you kind of call them into being, and then you start worrying about these these things that you've imagined. And now we've got the pharmaceutical companies and Fauci as their spokesman pr- preying upon that, and it's really pretty sinister. But then also keep this in mind. This, this could really get children killed eventually. And I'll tell you why. Because it's only a matter of time before a pandemic hits that actually does target kids. We know historically that obviously has happened. Polio, just one example. So it's inevitable that event, hopefully it won't be soon, but eventually there's going to be, there, there are going to be more pandemics in the future. There are always going to be pandemics. And it, it just so happens that this one for the most part, leaves kids alone in terms of serious uh, reactions to it. But that's not always going to be the case. Eventually, a virus is going to come along that really will target kids in a, in, a, you know, in a very specific way. But the problem is that now that we've been lied to so much about it, a lot of people aren't going to believe it. When you've got the Fauci's of the world coming out and say, oh, this is, this is coming after your kids, many people are going to say, oh, well, that's what you said last time. So it's the boy who cried wolf scenario. Except in this case, it's not sheep that are at risk. It's your kids. All right, let's move on to this. Uh, major retail chains like Best Buy, Target, Nordstrom, Foot Locker, and, uh, and some others, many others, in fact, have now crawled to Congress begging for help during this surge of crime and looting, organized retail theft, as they're calling it, which is looting. Um the word looting and also the word rioting have become politically incorrect now because of the way that we associate them with, rightly so, with BLM. And so now it's organized retail theft is what we call it. And representatives of all these major chains wrote a letter to Congress, which says in part, uh, leading retailers are concerned about the growing impact organized retail crime is having on the communities we proudly serve, which is why we strongly support the bipartisan and bicameral integrity, notification, and fairness in online retail marketplace for Consumers Act. INFORM is the acronym they're going for there. That's why they stretched for it. 
This important legislation will modernize our consumer protection laws to safeguard families and communities from the sale of illicit products, and we urge its quick passage. There is no simple answer to stopping organized retail crime for the, or the sale of counterfeits, but key to stemming the tide of these growing problems is transparency. If a customer buys a product from a local retail storefront or e-commerce site and it is broken or otherwise defective, the consumer knows exactly who to contact. There's accountability. In the current environment, uh, blah, 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 we need this to happen. It's time for Congress to modernize our consumer safety laws so consumers, retail employees, and businesses are, are not targets of organized retail crime and dangerous counterfeit products. It's time for Congress to act, is what they're saying. And I can see why they want help. Of course I can. This, this is destroying them. They're shutting down locations. Uh, chains like Walgreens. Walgreens has basically been chased out of uh, places like San Francisco. Target is having a hard time too. They're having to limit hours. Um, lots of other things that are happening because of all this crime. And that's why they want help. But here's what I would do if I was in charge. If it were, if it were up to me, and sadly at this point it is not until I complete my theocratic fascist takeover of, of the world, which will happen. Um, but if it were up to me, I would say to Target, Best Buy, Nordstrom, Foot Locker, all the rest of them, here's what I would say. I would say, we will help you, right? We're glad to help you if you have not catered to the BLM mob and the woke mob, thereby celebrating the very criminality that you now want to be protected from. So we'll take a look at your social media accounts and we'll take a look at your public statements and um, all the different marketing and stuff that you've done. And as long as you haven't done any of that, no hashtag BLM, putting the black square up, anything like that. We stand with George Floyd. As long as we find none of that, then, uh, then we'll help you out. Which is just another way of saying that if it were up to me, I wouldn't be helping any of these companies. Because every single one of them have, uh, have been cowed before the mob. That has now turned its sights on them and is destroying them. So you got to live with this. This this is your problem. Now now you want help. I mean, what did you think was going to happen? Well, I know the the mar- the plan from the marketing geniuses at these corporations is that hey, if we say uh, yeah, let's go BLM. If we if we cater to them, if we get out the pom poms and cheer them on, then uh, then they'll they'll pass us over. Like the angel of death on Passover. This is our you know our wokeness is the lamb's blood on the door. And it didn't work out that way. Because in this case, the angel of death visited every single house that had, that had the lamb's blood on the door. And you know why? Because the angel, to, keep, to continue with this metaphor, the angel of death is realizing that, oh, okay, well, these are the people who will do what I say. These are the companies that will let me get away with anything. These are the, these are the organizations that will bow before me. So these are the ones I'm going to pick on. So you're on your own. Have fun with that. Let's see what else we got here. Um, from the Washington Post, this is, here's a headline that's not really a headline. It says a Catholic diocese in Michigan has instructed its pastors to deny baptism, confirmation, and other sacraments to transgender and non-binary people unless they have quote repented. Possibly the first diocese in the United States to issue such a sweeping policy about those who identify with a gender other than their assigned sex at birth. Um, and let's put a lot of air quotes around sex assigned at birth because we know that that phrase it makes no sense at all. Your sex is not assigned at birth. 
They're not, this is not something that the, that the doctor decides on. They, it, is, is, it is observed and noted. Sex noted at birth. Sex observed at birth, not sex assigned at birth. No one is assigning anything. Uh, as I've said before, they're not, it's not like there's a, they're pulling out a filing cabinet and uh, saying, okay, well, this one's a boy. Let's grab a penis out of the penis filing cabinet and, uh, and put it on there. That's not the way it works. Now, sex assigned at birth, that's, it sounds like that's how it works. So I didn't know anything, and I was coming in like a blank slate. I had no idea how, it, how humanity comes to be and what the birthing process is like or anything. And I was some sort of alien, let's say, landing here. One of, uh, one of uh, uh, Demi Lovato's friends landing here. And I heard about sex being assigned at birth. That's what I would imagine. I would imagine that, oh, well, this is a species where they are born sexless with no kind of genitals or anything. And then all of that stuff is sort of affixed onto them through some kind of process. Maybe it's a lottery process. Who knows? That's not how it works. Anyway, where were we? Um, the guidance issued by the Diocese of Marquette also stipulates that transgender people may not receive communion, in which Catholics believe the blood, body and blood of Jesus Christ are truly present. In most circumstances, they cannot receive the anointing of the sick, which is meant to provide physical or spiritual healing to those who are seriously ill. The guidance was issued in July, but only recently sparked a debate after a prominent priest and advocate for LGBTQ Catholics shared it on Twitter. Uh, the document says the experience of incongruence in one's sexual identity is not sinful if it does not arise from the person's free will, nor would it stand in the way of Christian initiation. However, deliberate, freely chosen, and manifest behaviors to redefine one's sex do constitute such an obstacle. This is yet another example where the media, uh, I always love these stories about the Catholic Church and the media because they have no idea. And any, any story that, that deals with religion, these are, these are godless heathens. And uh, they haven't been inside a church since they were probably three years old. If they went inside one now, they'd burst into flames. So they have no idea what they're talking about. And they act uh, surprised and shocked. And they make headlines out of these policies of the Catholic Church or teachings of the Catholic Church that have been in place since forever, right? And that, that, that this is the case everywhere. All dioceses, let me, I have news for you media, anyone on the left, it's even worse than you think because all dioceses have, or should have anyway, this exact policy. Because it is a sin to reject your sex, to mutilate your body, to deny your biological selfhood. These are sins. Of course they are. Just think about, now, this idea that you could be born in the wrong body and, uh, and that this is a, a problem that has to be corrected through surgery, hormones, whatever. Th this makes no sense on a purely scientific, biological level. So if we're engaging with this from a secular perspective, that makes no sense at all. Born in the wrong body? What are you talking about? You, in that case, you are your body. That's all you are. So what, what is in the wrong body exactly? What do you mean? I, my brain is in the wrong body. Your brain is part of your body. You might as well say that you have, well, this is not the right left arm. I should have a different left arm. It makes no sense from a scientific perspective. No sense. But from a religious perspective, which is how the Catholic Church is going to approach this, or again, should be approaching it, it makes even less sense. And it's not just that it makes sense. It's also, it's blasphemy. Because now you're saying that if someone made a mistake here, what, it was God? God accidentally, what, it, it infused a female soul into a male body? It was a, it was a mistake on the celestial assembly line? Now what you are saying is that God made a mistake 
a rather severe, uh, uh, serious mistake of putting the wrong soul into the wrong body. And so you are, what you're saying is I have to correct God's mistake. God gave me this self, but this is the wrong self. I reject it and I'm going to try to make a new one. Of course that's sinful. That's pride. That's blasphemy. That's sacrilege. That's, that's all of the deadly sins wrapped into one package. And this is, uh, this is not my opinion of, of the Christian approach to this subject. This, this is the, there is no alternative. Because the only alternative would be to either take, remove God from the equation entirely, in which case this thing still makes no sense. Or it's to make God it's certainly something much less than omnipotent and omniscient, all-powerful and all-knowing. Now you have a God who's a sort of a, a what, a bumbling idiot. He has no idea what he's doing when he's, when he's uh, fashioning people. I made you in your womb. I, I, you know, I knew you before you were born. And apparently this is a, a process rife with mistake. All right. What else do we got here? So Steven Spielberg's West Side Story adaptation was released this weekend, and uh, it flopped. I just wanted to mention this. Huge marketing push behind it. Rave reviews. Lots of hype. Nobody cared. Had a, a, a $10 million opening, and that's for a $100 million movie. Directed by the most famous director probably in the history of Hollywood. That's a big failure. And the media, as, as always with these kinds of things, when a, a, when a movie is all this marketing, everything, and, and what, what really sends them for, for a loop is that they told us, because like I said, it got rave reviews. Like they has like 98% on Rotten Tomatoes or something. And so they told us that the movie is good. They specifically told us that it's good and we should watch it. And, and nobody is. And that makes them confused and scared and, uh, and also really angry. And so there are all these articles now. What went wrong? Why isn't anyone watching West Side Story? Well, let me, let me, I'll, I'll, let me explain. I'll tell you why. Okay. Number one, there's really three reasons. Number one, the movie is woke. Uh, there's, of course it is. Because every movie is now. Every major Hollywood movie is. They, they all are and they all will be for the foreseeable future. So we know that going in. Uh, but we know in this case, there's a trans character played by a non-binary actor. And they made a big deal about that. Uh, they made a big deal about how inclusive the movie is and all this kind of stuff. And uh, th- now, that's how they marketed it. They're talking about the diversity of the cast and it's inclusive. I haven't seen the movie. I don't plan on watching it. So I don't know how in your face the wokeness actually is when you watch it. But that's how they marketed it. That's the foot they decided to put forward here. And the audience doesn't want that. Nobody in the audience wants that. Nobody. Now, there are certain segments of the audience that might applaud the PC movies in theory, but they don't watch them. Nobody actually, they might sit back, maybe for most of them aren't really big movie fans anyway. They're not the type to go to the theater. So they'll sit back and they'll kind of, oh, that's, isn't that so nice? That's, that's, that's inclusive. I, they're not going to watch it because it's boring. It's not real. Like we, we want exciting stories. We want stories that uh, that have something real to say, something of substance. And something of substance cannot be the sort of lecture we might hear in an HR you know, job orientation seminar about diversity and inclusion and tolerance. So nobody wants it. That's the first problem. 
Uh, second problem is West Side Story as a movie is corny as hell, and it's just not a good story. I, I, now, I, I admit I saw the original movie like once. I'm not a, I'm not a musical fan, so I admit that. I'm, so maybe I'm not a good judge here. Um, but it struck me as it's, it's a much cheesier Romeo and Juliet, and, and maybe the music is good for a musical. I, I won't try to judge that part of it. And I admit with musicals, it's like I'm trying to get into the story, and then and we've got good guys and bad guys, protagonists, antagonists, and I'm getting into the story. And then they all break out into a choreographed dance number, and it takes me out. It's it, the the fourth wall is totally shattered right then. It, it's a fourth wall breaking moment. To the it's it's it would be like if I could see on camera the buffet table on in the back there where the extras and everything are having a snack. Okay, that's what it's like for me in terms of breaking the fourth wall. It takes me out of this and makes me realize again. Oh, this is just a story. And especially when they're supposed to be these rival gangs, intimidating, and now they're doing ballet dances in the middle of the, <laughs> the middle of the alleyway to intimidate each other. Uh, so that's that's a problem. And and then the third problem is that uh, people are just tired of the remakes and rehashes. They're tired of them. So we've seen all these things before. If you want to watch West Side Story, we, we, we all have access to all of these movies. Because everybody is subscribed to 50 different streaming services. So we all, we all have immediate access. Within the blink of an eye, in the speed of light, we can access like every movie that's ever been made in history. And so if you're, if you're just giving us the same thing we already have, then what incentive is there to watch? So that hopefully explains that. Uh, finally, one other thing to note here. There's a, there was an article about police in, in the UK and uh, how now, this is in the Times, UK uh, newspaper, about how police in the UK are now going to start lo- logging you know, in their records when they arrest someone, if they arrest a rapist, a sex offender, someone who committed a violent sex offense, they're going to log that person in the official records as a woman, even if it was a man, if the person identifies as a woman. And so what, because they, if, if someone is a rapist and, and rapes a woman, what they're saying now is, well, we're going to respect their self-identity because, yes, this is a violent rapist, but we wouldn't want to hurt his feelings uh, or interfere with his perception of himself in any way whatsoever. So now we're going to see this probably increase, this surge of women rapists. Um, and there are women rapists out there, but it's not nearly as common as male rapists. And now we're going to see this surge because, because we're respecting the self-identity of, of uh, women rapists. Now, I bring this up because J.K. Rowling, the way that I came across this news is J.K. Rowling was trending on Twitter because everybody's mad at her again. And uh, she had shared an article about this and was critical of it. And she, she wrote, war is peace, freedom is slavery, ignorance is strength. The penis individual who raped you is a woman. And all the left is very upset and they're complaining about it and, and attacking her as always. I just wanted to say about J.K. Rowling. Now, you can look at what she's done over the last few years and being so outspoken on this issue, on the trans issue, and you could say, well, she's not risking anything because she has a zillion dollars, and what, is she, what does she have to lose? And I get that, but I think it's more accurate to look at it from the other way and say, what does she have to gain? She has nothing personally to gain from this. In fact, she has everything to lose, which is why when you look at other people of her stature, and people who have more money than her or less, 
anyone in that realm, really famous, influential, wealthy people, almost none of them. I think she might be like the only one who is really speaking out on this issue the way that she has been. And that's because, yeah, you could, you could look at it like, I've got all this money, what do I have to lose? But what do we see with rich people whenever they get canceled? They're, they are the quickest to fold. Because they look at it the other way. They see, I have only, to, all I can do is lose. I have nothing to gain by standing strong here. And people, as they get more successful and they have more money, there, there is this retrenchment that kind of happens. And you get more cautious. And you figure, okay, I've found my groove. i got all this money coming in. I've got all this respect. I've got everything in the world. And so any risk I take, it's one thing when you're still scrappy and you're kind of climbing up the ladder and you got to take risks, you know, and then, and then everything you do, it's, you could lose everything, but you could, you could also gain everything. When you get to the top, then you start thinking, I'm already at the top. So any risk I take, um, I'm, at, I'm, I've made, I'm at the summit now. So if I start jumping around and taking risks and everything, all I could do is fall down the mountain. I can't go any higher. And that's what most famous rich people do. Uh, J.K. Rowling isn't doing that. I think she deserves a lot of respect for that. It's, it, it, it's, it's actually very brave. And the other thing that confuses me about this is that from what I've noticed, the right is not really rallying around J.K. Rowling the way that we often do with celebrities who speak out and say something we agree with. Now, now you could point out that J.K. Rowling probably disagrees with conservatives on every other issue. If she knew who I was, she would probably hate my guts, which would hurt me deeply as a fellow best-selling children's author. And maybe that's part of the reason why I'm defending her here, because I, I you know, have that connection with her. But yeah, she probably would hate my guts if she knew who I was. She would, she would send me to the gulag. I get it. But this is one of the most important issues of our time. She's stayed firm on it for years. And it's not like she just said one thing. One simple statement. She has been repeatedly outspoken and spoken about it, written essays and everything, spoken about it quite eloquently and insightfully. And yet there hasn't been this rallying point around her to the same extent when, when you look at, I mean, we, on the right, we rally around Kanye West or, uh, you know, who was the, what was it, Cardi B or one of these female rappers. Or they say, they, they, they utter one sentence we agree with. We hate everything else they say and do. They utter one sentence we agree with. Not even on a, on a central core issue. It could just be, uh, I hate taxes or, or cancel, I don't, you know, I don't know about this cancel culture thing. I, I don't really like it. And that's it. And, and we are smitten. Okay, we got we have uh, hearts in our eyes and and we're seeing stars and everything, and we want to rally around that person and, and hold them up as a champion. Um, even though they didn't even say anything all that interesting, and usually within a couple of days because they've got the wrong people rallying to them, so they'll they'll apologize and back down. Yet rallying on this central core issue, where she's actually spoken about it eloquently, insightfully, and powerfully. Uh, and, and, and stuck to her guns. She's not getting the same support from the right, which I find really, really interesting. When you're at the pump these days, it may seem like all downside, and, uh, and it is for most people, unless you have the Get Upside app. Uh, this is an app where you can make, and many of my listeners are already making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time you fill up. Just download the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. And here's a bonus. If you use promo code Walsh, you get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill-up. That's up to 50 cents a gallon cash back. Don't pay full price at the, at the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Just download the app for free and use promo code Walsh to get up to 50 cents a gallon cash back on your first tank. 
There are people who uh, I talk to who drive a lot are making $200, $300 a month cash back. And there's no catch. There's no fine print. It's really simple. You can cash out any time to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card uh, for Amazon and other brands. It's that simple, that easy. And again, it's all upside. So just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code Walsh to get up to 50 cents a gallon cash back on your first tank. That's code Walsh. All right, let's get now to the comment section. Do you know their name? They're the sweet baby gang. Uh, Erica says, Simone Biles winning athlete of the year is such a slap in the face to all of the other athletes who actually had major wins at the Olympics, including one of her own teammates who performed even better than expected and won the gold medal in the individual all around. There are many other Olympians who also had huge victories, all of whom are more worthy of of, uh, athlete of the year. It didn't bother me that Simone pulled out of the Olympics, but it does bother me that she gets recognition over all the other Olympians, including her teammates, who did perform their best and who were successful. Uh, Yeah, this is what I said about Simone Biles from the very beginning. I thought what she did in pulling out was cowardly, but if that's all it was, if she had simply pulled out and quit on her team and everybody reacted to that in in a common sense kind of way, in a rational way, and we had said, well, that's too bad, that's disappointing, but uh, that was her choice, and that's what she did. And then we all moved on. It would be fine. I I never would have said a word about Simone Biles. But as is often the case, it's the reaction that turns it into an issue. It's the reaction. It's when the media comes around and says, oh, you know what? No, but you have to celebrate this. This is actually courageous. And again, if they if if their response had simply been, oh, well, let's be sympathetic for her. We don't know what she's going through. You know, let's not judge her too harshly. Once again, I, I probably would have had no problem with that. I would have said anything. Okay, fine. You know, all right. She's she's a still a, a young woman. She's in the Olympics. A lot of, a lot of pressure on her shoulders. I, I get it. But when you tell me that it's virtue, when you tell me that it's courageous, when you tell me I have to celebrate it. Okay, now I have to speak up and say no. And I think that is the problem, so you're right with that. And uh, as far as being awarded Athlete of the Year, it's all virtue signaling, right? Nothing is authentic anymore in our culture. Our women of the year are men. Our athletes of the year are quitters. It's the, uh, it's the death of realness, of authenticity. It's, uh, it's a real uh, existential catastrophe, you might say. Okay, Bear of Divinity says, hey, Matt, a big fan of the show. When they accuse Johnny the Walrus of being anti-trans, it sounds like that they were not only engaging in gay erasure, but also transphobia towards trans species. Your thoughts? Uh, I think you're exactly right about that. Um, you know, there are people who have said that really it should be LGBTQIA and we need to add the W on the end for, for Walrus. And I think I, I think I agree with that. Uh, by the way, a quick update on that story, though. Amazon did remove me from the LGBT category, as I know you heard if you listen to the show. And that was uh, a human rights abuse. It was a hate crime against me as an LGBT author and as a, gay, as a, as a, as a, uh, a straight gay icon. Um, but when, uh, when, I think it was LGBTQ News or one of these other, one, one of these gay news sites reached out to Amazon for comment, they said that, yeah, I, I was taken off of the LGBT category, but they're not going to take me off the site because I have not violated any guidelines. So I'm safe there. I'm actually not going to get taken down from Amazon because I haven't violated guidelines, which technically is true because, you know, the book doesn't actually say anything about, it doesn't technically directly say anything about transgender people or LGBT. So 
skating by on a technicality, which means you can go to Amazon right now and buy Johnny the Walrus. Um, Cindy says, I love how Matt breaks his show down into four soothing, predictable sections. Predictable? You're banned from the show, but thanks for listening. Vitor says, um, how does their relationship work out? Funny thing, Ellen Page is actually now divorced. The love of my life lasted about three years, I guess. But yeah, I didn't realize that. So we played the clip of uh, for, on Stephen Colbert's show, Ellen Page doing her emotional, tearful monologue about Jesse Smollett shortly after he first perpetrated the hoax. And she has a picture of her and her wife. I guess she had just gotten married. And she calls, she says, Mike Pence wants to stop this from happening. This is the love of my life. And then a few years later, she's divorced. So it's not funny, but it is a little bit. It, it, well, and of course they're getting divorced, by the way. Her wife is a lesbian who married a woman. So... She, she wasn't in the bargain to marry a man. This is, this is part of the, the narcissism, part of what makes all this sinful. This I, I'm going to control my identity. I'm going to be who's, who I say I want to be. Because um, not only is it a rejection of biology, not only is it a rejection of God's plan for you, but it, it is it's also a rejection of, of your role in your family and in your marriage. And if you have kids... It's like what you're saying to all these people is I'm going to take, if you're, say, a man and you have a wife and kids and you've got parents and you've got siblings, what you're saying to your family now is I'm going to take your son from you and your brother and your husband and your uh, father. I'm taking him away. And in his place, I'm putting uh, this person and I am requiring that you play along with this now charade. That old person is dead now. In fact, to even say his name is to dead name him. I'm taking him away from you. Sorry, kids. You don't have a daddy anymore. You have two moms. Is that a sin? Oh, yeah, for sure. The Biden administration's unconstitutional vaccine mandate is not doing very well in court. Not only has the OSHA mandate received a nationwide stay, but the U.S. Senate has just voted 48 to 52 against Biden's federal mandate. However, the issue now goes to the Democrat-led House, who will likely push it through. So this is on top of the Biden winter COVID plan where they've extended the mask mandate. They're talking about possibly vaccine passports to, to travel domestically. So that's what's at stake here. And that's why we have to continue to fight back. Uh, our collective voices have never been more important in the fight for freedom. And now's your chance to add your voice to the fight. If you haven't signed our petition against Biden's vaccine mandate, I need you to head on over to dailywire.com slash do not comply right now to add your name. We need to send an overwhelming message to the Biden administration. We, uh, we're Last I checked, we're over 750,000 signatures. We want to get to a million. We will get there. We need your help. Go to dailywire.com slash do not comply right now. And after you do that, well, do that after the show because we've got one more segment. And then you do that. And then the next step is to go to johnnythewalrus.com and pick up my best-selling, beloved, revered, celebrated, LGBT bestseller, Johnny the Wallers. Um, it is available right now, and, as, and, and Amazon, as we just talked about, is not banning it, so it's on Amazon, which means that we can keep it. It's been kind of living in the top 10, going back and forth. We got it all the way up to the top five. Uh, but, you know, it's, the longer it's in the top 10, the funnier this entire thing is. That's really, that's my, one of my primary sales pitches. But maybe the more important detail here is that we're fighting back against the uh, wokeifying of children's uh, books. So go to johnnythewalrus.com right now and pick up your copy of the book. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today we cancel a man by the name of Dr. Ty Winters. 
Now, what you should know about Dr. Winters is that he is a very woke doctor. And that's important context here. He calls himself a social justice warrior in his Twitter bio. And uh, needless to say, he lists his pronouns, which are he, him, by the way. He also includes the hashtag fight with your privilege. Hashtag fight with your privilege. Now, I think what he means is probably fight against your privilege or fight your privilege. But the phrasing makes it sound like he's exhorting us to fight with it, meaning use it like a weapon. And when I say fight with your sword, like fight with your privilege, use it as a weapon. It sounds like that sounds like what he's saying, which ironically is exactly what he does. Now, the rest of his page is littered with all kinds of woke graffiti. He's also affiliated with something called the Tor for Diversity. In summary, Dr. Winters is is very concerned with racism and microaggressions and diversity and tolerance and all the things that you're required to care about these days. And wouldn't you know it, what a strange turn of events. Recently, Dr. Winters had an interaction with somebody who just so happened to reinforce all of these talking points. It's crazy how that happens. It's a pretty, pretty common coincidence. The people who spend most their, the most time talking about racism are usually the ones who happen to encounter the most absurdly racist people in real life. Only we never see those encounters. We just have to take their word for it. Strange how that happens. So the doctor tweeted this on Friday, along with a selfie where he appears wearing a full suit with a badge that says, Doctor, the tweet says, Walking down the hallway when stopped by someone. Excuse me, you're housekeeping, right? I replied, no, but I can try to help you if you need something. The person looks down at my badge. Oh, you're a doctor? Sorry, you look like the custodial staff. Um, My God. I I mean, I shouldn't be laughing. It's terrible. It's a terrible rate. The racism is out of control. Because that obviously is the not at all subtle point here. The other person was clearly racist, and that's why they assume that a black man must be a janitor. And the tweet quickly went viral with lots of leftists sharing it and expressing outrage. I mean, they were, they were flabbergasted. They knew racism was bad in America, but, but it's even worse than they thought. How could white people be so racist that they'd think that a man in a full suit at a hospital is part of the custodial staff just because he's black? Well, let me clear up the mystery for you. Um, luckily, uh, white people are not that racist because this never happened. They only... The only thing that would make this less believable is if he claimed that the person poured bleach on his head and shouted, this is a MAGA hospital. Nobody is going to, his, I'll tell you this, no one is going to think that a man in a full suit and tie at a hospital is a janitor. That's not the janitorial uniform. Have you ever seen a man in a suit push a mop? Like, have you ever, have you ever witnessed that anywhere? I never have. Is this supposed to go the reverse way too, I, I wonder? Could I walk down the street as a white man with like no shirt and no shoes and a ripped pair of jeans covered in mud? And somebody runs up to me and goes, excuse me, sir, uh, you're a heart surgeon, right? Come with me quick. My dad's having a heart attack. Are are these the kinds of assumptions that Dr. Winters thinks white people make? But as always with these hate hoaxes, the hoaxer accidentally reveals that he has never been around an actual white racist in his life, which is good news. Because if he had he'd know that even racist white people are aware that non-white people are doctors. You couldn't possibly spend any time in a hospital anywhere in the country without encountering that reality. It is a very common thing to see non-white doctors. Also, even the most racist person in the world wouldn't look a black guy in the face and say, you look like the custodial staff. No one is saying that. Come to think of it, nobody would say the phrase custodial staff in regular conversation. Maybe if you're a doctor and you only hang out with doctors, that's how you speak. 
But but no one is saying that. I've never heard a normal person in regular conversation refer to the custodial staff. And normal people also don't refer to janitors at hospitals as housekeeping. These are all things that make sense in the privileged, elitist mind bubble that Dr. Smollett lives in. Speaking of which, the really surprising thing about the Smollett case was just how lazy the hoax was. And it's, this is always the case with these hoaxes. He planned it out and invested in it financially, but he showed very little attention to detail, especially when it came time to execute the hoax. So, for example, the police chief in Chicago, who at the time, the police chief, who arrested Smollett, was on the news this weekend talking about one of the many red flags that tipped them off that this was all a hoax. There were a lot of red flags that he goes through, but here's, here, here's the one that, he, that, for him, was decisive. Listen to this. Well, looking back on it, the, the part about the news, but what, but what really struck us oddly, because I, at that time I had been a cop 30 years, 31 years, and so I had been in the detective division working homicides a lot uh, back when I was a sergeant. What really struck us all was the fact that he got attacked on the coldest night of the year during the polar vortex. I remember the polar vortex. I was here for a trip. Yeah. The planes were frozen. The pipes were frozen. insanely cold. Yeah. So nobody was out. There were no people walking their dogs like you might see late at night. But I tell you one thing that really tipped us off that there was a problem. If somebody gets jumped like that, Mm -hmm. and okay, so let me back up a bit. He went to a Subway sandwich shop at like 2 in the morning to get a sandwich. Okay, that's fine. He comes back gets attacked in a hate crime, supposed hate crime. And during all this scuffle, they poured uh, bleach on him and all of this. When he got up and went into his apartment building, he still had that Subway sandwich with him. That doesn't happen. So Smollett went through all that trouble, recruited two Nigerians, went out in a polar vortex, but didn't think to drop the sandwich. Or even to scuff the sandwich up a little bit to make it look like it had just been in the middle of a violent struggle. The sandwich was pristine, apparently. It's the nicest sandwich anyone's ever seen from Subway. Normally, all Subway sandwiches look like they just got jumped. So that made this sandwich's immaculate condition all the stranger for the police. The point is that the hoaxers don't bother to attend to details. Dr. Winters Smollett II didn't take a few minutes to come up with some credible lines of dialogue to put into the mouth of his fictional antagonist. He just typed this out in a dash and hit send. Fight with your privilege. That's exactly what he's doing, just like Smollett, just like all the hoaxers. They are so insulated from actual strife and struggle, and certainly from actual bigotry, that they uh, they fetishize it. And yet they can't act out these roles or invent these stories believably because they've never encountered these sorts of people that they're inventing. And for that, they should be very grateful. But instead, their privilege makes them bitter and weirdly resentful. And this is what it drives them to. Which is why I must say that Dr. Ty Winters is just the latest hoaxer, certainly not the last on this show, to be canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring, 
Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Ali Hinkle. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. John Bickley here, Daily Wire Editor-in-Chief. Wake up every morning with our new show, Morning Wire. On today's episode, search and recovery efforts continue after a series of deadly tornadoes, the U.S. suffers record inflation, and the prosecution rests its case against Ghislaine Maxwell. Join us and get the facts first on the news you need to know with our show, Morning Wire. Morning Wire.